It's just a hairline fracture. The doctors say it'll be fine in a couple of weeks. Oh, well, that's good. But what a shame you keep doing this to yourself, eh, Jim? I'm surprised the flight controller gave you press boys the go-ahead to come and see me. Well, as soon as we told them who we were and what we wanted to ask you to do, they jumped at the chance. Is what we'd be saying if we'd actually bothered to ask them. That camera looks pretty ancient. Oh, this? Oh, no, this isn't a camera. This here is the randomizer. And I'd like you to press the button today. Well, I'd like to help. Uh-huh. Maybe in about... 10 or 12 years. Mm-hmm. But I don't think... Uh, going to have to hurry you. No. I'm sorry. I can't do it. Oh, go on, please. It's okay. I feel fine now. That's it. Thank you. Oh, uh, by the way, Jim, what's your favourite Anderson series? I can't remember. You don't understand. I... can't think. Okay, okay. Well, never mind. Right, let's see what we have to... <laughs> <clears throat> Sorry? What is this? Oh, Jim. Jim, Jim, Jimmy Jim, 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 Jim! You know what you've done? You've only gone and produced my favourite episode of this particular series. Tell me, what's your secret? Well, I can only put it down to an electrical fault in, in the main circuit. Oh. Oh, well, never mind then. Here's Stingray. What else could it have been? Well now, it's uh, it's not very often that I can say that the randomizer produces my favourite episode of a particular series. Uh, generally, I would say that only happens once per series, in fact. Uh, I seem to recall we've had my favourite episodes of UFO, New Captain Scarlet, and um, possibly one or two others. Approaching target area. Terrorhawks would be one. <laughs> But now, here we are, with my favourite episode of Stingray. And it is an episode that I... I don't hear too many people talking about as an absolute favourite. But I just feel this episode is does so much with a relatively small idea. It's so stylish, it's so slick, it's so well produced. So I'm going to have a lot of fun talking about this one today. Missile ejector on target. Five miles. Firing now. Contact. And we open with this alien chappy in a rather cool submarine with a, as the title suggests, a big gun strapped to the top, blowing up random islands. And of course, as a kid, you um, you kind of accept the image that you're about to see here of uh, well, the island having been hit. It just uh, sinks beneath the, the water as if, you know, an island just sort of sits on the top of the water. As a kid, I didn't know any different. It was uh, only one, well... A few years after this that I would have found out. Station Force 10 Plus. It's not quite how islands work. Turning to Solister to report. But this chappy is very happy with his day's work. He's just blown up an island. And, uh, yeah, here's one of the, the first highlights of the episode. This Barry Gray score for this episode is possibly one of my favourite episodic scores of any Anderson show. Uh, I think perhaps only rivalled by... Uh, Captain Scarlet and Shadow of Fear. It's just an absolutely gorgeous piece of music and um, was reused quite frequently throughout this series and also through Thunderbirds. As well it should have been because it's absolutely glorious. To Solister Base. Approaching the inner sea of Solister. Present depth two miles below bottom of Pacific Ocean. And this chap, Maritimus, in his cool submarine, he's talking into a radio, which I've always felt looks like the, um... Maritimus to Solister base. 
a microphone, I should say. It, I've always felt that it looks like the front of a, a Klingon battlecruiser from the original series of uh, Star Trek. But this is a lovely touch. Uh, Maritimus' submarine is now in a, a subterranean sea, and it's so dark down there we have to have landing lights. Landing lights? This is brilliant! Leading us to... The City of Solaster, which is a giant starfish... To Solaster Base. ...that they've turned into a city. There are other buildings around the perimeter. But yeah, there seems to be a giant starfish that they, um, these people all live in. And it's not explained, but it's a, another gorgeous image. And uh, I suppose it makes a lot of sense for an undersea race to, uh, to make use of... Disembarking. ...something like that if the starfish is dead and they can live in it. Well, I've, I've got no problem if they want to live there. Oh, Solaster. I, your mighty leader, summon Corda, my advisor. Here we are in Solaster. Corda, report to your mighty leader at once. And here's another example of what I mean. It's just... Corda could have been with his mighty leader, uh, already having this meeting, but... We have to have this lovely shot of Corda walking through a garden, essentially. A garden in an underwater city to find... Mighty leader, I am here to advise you. May I see your face? The mighty leader himself, reclining on his uh, comfortable garden furniture. We are ready to launch our attacks on the Terrania. On which more later, because I just, I love the design of this episode. I love the, the look of the city of Solaster, exterior and interior, but I also love the look of these characters. Our might. Some people have said they look a bit like Crichton from Red Dwarf. As a kid, chain reaction, who was not yet familiar with Red Dwarf, uh, I always just thought they looked like um, what Lego figures looked like if you took the hair off. Now ready to receive Maritimus. Of course. Maritimus, the mighty leader awaits you. Maritimus comes now, mighty leader. I tell you the thing that Maritimus does, mighty leader, before you see him do it. I, I, I like the redundancy of that, but I also think it's there because... Uh, May I stand before you? Mighty leader has his back to uh, see the, face. the entrance. Truly brave man. Oh. You handsome devil, you. You truly brave man. You've earned yourself a medal. Because you blowed up the right thing. For your bravery and devotion to duty, oh. you will have the honor to lead the attack on the surface land. Mm. You will begin. So that thing you just did didn't really count. That was just a test. Most of the area known as the United States of America. That was a test. The test went so well, it's now Operation Obliteration for the rest of the world. I'll call you with more details soon. You might say, well, it's only two two guys. This is a Stingray race. There's only two of them. This is going to take a while. No, no. These guys are serious about world domination. You can tell because there's three of them. We got trouble, all right. I don't think there's ever been more than two aliens in a particular Stingray episode. Let's check it out. Yeah, and do that, Atlanta. I know there's always... Oh, our entire civilization is just behind that door over there. But, um, yeah, there's actually three aliens in this one. It's... I, I know it's such a small thing, but it really is. It really... Just that one extra puppet somehow really does make this feel a bit more... Uh, a bit more of a determined attempt to, to take over the world. And investigate mysterious destruction of the deserted island of San May. Which is why I, I really... I really wish these aliens had come back, because aside from Titan, the rest of the underwater aliens that we meet during the course of the series, they don't feel particularly organised. They don't feel like a particularly strong, overwhelming force that, that really could pose a genuine threat to, uh, to the, the Terranians. I mean, even in the Invaders, where it's probably the next biggest attempt to 
to take over the world. There's a lot of talk thousand feet down by these aliens, but there's not really much action. These guys, there's a lot of talk, and they back it up with action. It's moving real fast, Troy, but I don't figure it. It's constructed of a material I can't identify. Right. Let's go down and take a look. It's made of orsonium, because I do love that craft. I had a... There was a little... Um, I think Fanderson put out a little metal vehicle model of that of that craft, and uh, I don't know where mine is. I have a feeling I, I might have lost it, which is a shame, because uh, even as a kid, I really wanted a model of that craft to... Uh, to go up against my matchbox stingray. Craft increasing in speed. Okay, let's get after it. Increase rate of dive. Main ballast, 3,000. And luckily, Troy and Phones were already on patrol with Marina and, of course, Oink. Because we can't, uh, we couldn't leave Oink behind. Say, the other craft is rising. Yeah, I can see it at red zero zero two. <laughs> Keep it a safe but it's it's this this the combination of this theme and the the militaristic air of these people um i know they call, they call the city solar stir i've heard some sources i think possibly the stingray comic call these aliens trematodes whether you want to call them trematodes or solarstarians for the west coast of america i don't know but um i don't like it one bit oh i do i just i just wish they'd come back because it's so it's just so in your face and on the nose and so blatant what these people are. We, how do we know they're bad guys? Well, they travel around in, in submarines with just great big guns strapped to the top. Oh, it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. And this music is wonderful. Loritimus to Solister Base. Preparing missile ejector for attack on west coast of America. The whole thing? Ah, well the west coast of America is quite small. Um, it seems to amount to this one little power station on the coast. To firing, setting missile to full power. Again, I think there is a mention of it later in the episode. They mention they have these people also have surface agents. It's a very quick mention. Our surface intelligence. Um, so they are comparable to to Titan and and Titanica, but I would love to... Holmes, number one... Oh, I would have loved to have seen them come back. I would have loved to have learnt more about them. Ten, nine... Again, lovely artful direction here. Fire one. Three, two... We get these angles, different angles on Maritimus's face as he does the countdown, and then later... Oh, I love that the missile fires just as, as the craft is hit by a stingray. I'm sorry, I'm all over the place with this, because I love it so much. Good shooting, Captain! Um, but yeah, later on, in um, in the control tower, where Marineville is, is under attack, you get the same kind of angles. So that's the submarine blown up. Luckily, Maritimus is in a very cool escape capsule, and when I say cool, it it, it, it kind of just looks like a cigarette end that uh, someone's put wires on. Got survivors. Survivors? No, no survivors today. No sign of survivors, Troy. Hmm, I'm not surprised. Oh well, we tried. Pulls of the wreckage for analysis. We've got to find out what this is all about. Hmm. Thank goodness they saved that uh, coastal power station. Loritimus to Solister. Come in, Solister. Come in. Nothing. And I almost feel sorry for him here. Just return immediately to base and warn them of the Turanian craft. I think because the, the, the aliens have been established so well and Ray Barrett is doing such a good job that, you know, for a moment you... 
you know, you almost feel like that they are heroic, and you do side with them just for a moment there. Meanwhile, back in the city of Solister, in what looks like the capital room. But this is fantastic. Are you certain this is so? My favorite, my favorite moment of this episode, I think. Eridimus has been attacked by a powerful Terranian craft. In that case, we must locate the Terranian vessel's base. Because these these aliens, or the mighty leader, he has um, he has the most wonderful garden furniture, and it it is lawn furniture. He has a swinging um, uh, bench. All the time we wait, that he can sit on, and his uh, his assistant there was sitting on. Now you notice in an earlier scene that the um, the bench does not automatically swing itself, but whenever the mighty leader is sat on it, he is swinging backwards and forwards. Have the location scanners picked up the terrain? It's doing it now. So it's 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 a wonderful um, coast of the United States of America. I don't know what you want to call it. Disassociation between the idea of these people as a really fearsome militaristic force and their mighty leader, who invests in really nice garden furniture for him to swing on. Area in missile ejector number two. <laughs> this Marineville oh. must be wiped out. Uh, yeah, again, great performance by Don Mason, but I just can't shake the fact that this is a very, a, a man with a very camp voice, sitting on bright pink lawn furniture, swinging backwards and forwards, and talking about his missile ejector. I, um, oh, it's beautiful. It's just, and I can forgive it. I can forgive it, because it's just so, so pretty. Reference nine, why that's one of the deepest parts of the sea in the entire world. Yeah, having salvaged some of the wreckage, we have established where the craft came from. Because it uses very rare material, we know that it comes from a very deep part of the world. Oh, and there it is. The, the, we have another missile ejector. I don't know how many they have in this uh, city. Tacked for launch in 20 seconds. We went from the, the lovely glory shots of Stingray cruising along after it's left the ocean door to suddenly this shot of the missile ejector just very slowly and deliberately creeping out from behind a rock. And here we are now, about to take aim at Marineville, because their surface intelligence not only knows about Marineville, but has told them where it is. Nine. Attention, Marineville tracking station calling, unidentified craft located in our area. Emergency, battle stations one, two, and three. Oh, battle stations one, two, and three? I don't know what that means. Fire! Um, normally it's just battle stations. But I, I, I guess it means do it really quickly, because the drummer is really going for it here. Um, also interesting, again, that was the shot where I, I mentioned the interesting camera angles, but also it's um, Lois Maxwell doing the um, uh, Marineville tracking station voice. The missile launched, impact, 10 seconds. Not uh, David Graham. David Graham seems to have sat this episode out, as he uh, sometimes did with uh, early Stingray episodes. He's not in as he's not in as many as you think. Uh, he's in a lot. He's probably in most of them, but uh, he does miss some. I love this as well. Marineville has sent their slowest interceptor missile to uh, intercept the missile from the big gun, and it made it. But um, the control tower's taken a fair bit of damage. But only just. Call Stingray. Tell him where you thereby get the impression that the rest of Marineville has as well. Or to Stingray, come in, Captain Tempest. Especially with the lighting effect, as the the um, missiles exploded over the the complex, and and you get 
almost the sort of um, lighting effect that you would get during an eclipse. The tower, Troy. Must be a radio fault. Get the radio division to send up an emergency antenna. We must renew contact with Stingray. Yes, sir, but it'll take some time. Just relay the message, Lieutenant. I'll fix the schedules. I like as well there that you can uh, get a view of the um, Marineville Control Tower food dispenser. Vessel, 20 miles from coast. One of the, uh, the options on which is cool cola. Because, yes, I am watching this episode in HD, actually. Picking up a sound in Troy, and it's identical to the vessel we blew up the other day. Does that mean we get to go and blow that one up, too? Is that how it works? Yeah, it does. Because I get, there's no real formal declaration of war between these people and uh, and the Terranians. It's just... Closing in fast. Kill each other on sight, basically. Let's shadow him. That way, he'll lead us to his base. We can kill more people. Yeah, I love it. it's just, there's no time for any of that stuff because the episodes are so short. We can't really be doing with that. Let's just, uh, let's just, just, just blow each other to bits. Whoever gets off the missile first wins. Mr. Solastar, returning to base. Being shadowed by Turanian vessel Stingray will lure enemy to our domain and then destroy it. If it survives the pressure of our deep waters. Oh. So this isn't so much a uh, a retreat as a uh, a calculated lure to draw Stingray in. Keep going with the sound scanners. It's nice as well that um, oh, this is great. Oh, that's again such a lovely touch. As the submarine gets closer to its base, it puts its lights on, and there Stingray does the same thing to give the impression that as we're going deeper and deeper, it's getting darker and harder to navigate. And here we are. Entering the tunnel that will lead to the subterranean sea, where Ahoy. we can't lose it now. We're going in after it. Where Maritimus has his base, and yep, we are following it because um, we're feeling daring today. Even though fantastic, we're increasing our depth all the time, Troy. Yeah. The little depth gauge only goes as far as what fifteen? Stingrays ever stood up to? If the pressure builds up any more, it may not stand up to it. Watch the pressure gauges, phones. And here's a shot of Stingray I never understand. How Stingray moves forward. The depth gauge. How much deeper does this tunnel go? What propels Stingray? I know they have the rotor at the back. How about the hull? Will, will but it it's on as often as it's off. I'll let you know. It, obviously, it's useful for, for turning. But, uh, yeah, I don't know what propels Stingray forward in times like this when the rotor isn't moving. Oh, and it doesn't sound very reassuring. But this... Do tell me if I'm alone in this. Port observation panel, it's cracked. We've got it. When you were a kid, more of this. Reduce speed phones. And you used to play with Stingray in the bath. Because I'm sure some of you out there would have played with Stingray in the bath. Did you used to try and recreate this scene by pushing Stingray under the water and going, "Oh no, the pressure! It's it's making the hull creak." I had the um the larger Matchbox Stingray toy that you could. Uh, lift the lid off of and put one figure in, because there was only room for one figure, um, which was strange because there were two slots in it. But I seem to remember the other slot wasn't big enough to hold a second figure. Lost him. I used to play with that Stingray in the bath and uh, recreate this episode with the uh, with the top part of the hull. That accounts for the... Oh, memories. Anyway. A yellow sea. Stingray has now entered the subterranean sea. Seabed. But the crew are suffering the uh, the effects of the pressure of such great depth. The 
yeah. hull is... Uh, I love the impression you get of just their stagehands rocking the hull in and out the walls of the set. If we don't find them soon, Phones, we'll have to turn back. Stingray won't take much more of this before she folds up. Oh, and again, it makes these aliens seem so much more threatening when not only are they themselves so dangerous, but their environment is so dangerous. And clearly, it's taking a huge toll, not only on Stingray itself, but on Troy and Phones. And it's wonderfully displayed in the, the actor's performances there. And there's Stingray approaching the city. That underwater city must be their base. Phones, there's that missile-firing craft. And it's got us right in its sights. No word on how Oink is reacting to the extreme pressure here, because he is, a, he is along on this trip as well. Marina's doing okay, as she often does under pressure. Um, but Troy and Phones are... Well, Phones is out. ...has withstood the pressure. But from the attitude of the vessel, their crew haven't... No, Phones is gone. Troy is almost out. I must operate the Sting missile. Must kill something. Come on, boy. Yeah, you've come all this way. You don't want to not now kill something. Kill. Oh, Maritimus might just get the kill, though. Ten. Nine. Uh, see, this is his downfall, ultimately. His, his dependency on counting. He has to do a full ten-second countdown. Every time. And as we're about to discover... Sometimes it's easier just to go up to the controls and... Pull the lever, as Marina has done. Open fire on Maritimus' ship, and uh, that's that. Presumably he is dead. But... Can't be sure. Say... The cannons exploded. If you can help me, Marina, we can destroy the city. Yay! All missiles. Red. Zero, zero, four. A nice spot of genocide, because why not? They they knocked our radio off the, uh, the wall in Marineville Control Tower. That's more than enough reason to blow up their city. And again, this is a lovely bit of special effects work, as the, uh, the starfish city is blown to bits. Multiple missiles. Marina's having a great day here. She, uh... She loves a bit of, uh, blowing stuff up. Okay, Marina, let's get out of here before Stingray collapses like a paper bag. Oh. And, yeah, the, um, the city seems to be, uh, well and truly destroyed. You would assume that, um, Maritimus and Corder and Mighty Leader are no more, but certainly there are buildings on the perimeter that have survived even though the starfish is seems to be bleeding into the water. That's quite a graphic image. So the idea has been raised over the years that um, maybe they might have survived. Maybe they could have come back for more. I certainly wish that they could have, because I love them. They are both everything I find funny in, in an alien race, but also a very credible threat. We've all got to start work right away to equip ourselves for any event, right? Dismissed. And it just seems like such a shame to have hit such a, a brilliant alien race so early on in production. This is only episode six that was made. We have the incredible puppets for those aliens, but we also have the beautiful city. And we don't use it again. I know the um, the um, shots of the city turn up in uh, TV21. They were used as... Um, a home for is it the Crustavons, uh, lobster people who were living in there. Not worried. But yeah, for the people of Solister, this is their one and only. Oh, Lulu, 
Oh, I, I blew it. I blew it right at the end. Anyway, I may have blown it, but the big gun did not blow it. Oh, that is easily my favourite episode of the series, as I said, and I think it always will be. And to be fair, directed by David Elliott. You know, well done, David. Well done. That gets a round of applause. And I haven't, I don't think I've ever given one of those on the randomizer before, but that gets a round of applause. Um, it may be that this is an extremely simple story. And to be fair, it is. There are some underwater aliens. They're blowing stuff up. We're going to blow them up, and that'll take care of that. But I think it's, who wrote this? Alan Fennell. Okay, yeah, good work there. Yeah, I'm going to give you the nod as well, Alan Fennell. Um, but I think the fact that it is realised so superbly all the way along the line, the characters, the voice acting, the music, that big gun theme is not only one of my favourite pieces of Anderson music, it's probably one of my favourite pieces of music all time. The design work, everything in this episode just works. Everything in this episode is firing on all cylinders, and the result is what not only the, the best episode of Stingray, in my opinion, probably one of the best Anderson episodes of all time. If there's any other big gun fans out there, please let me know what you think of this one. I absolutely love it. I hope I'm not alone. <laughs>